Oh, Holy that was... fuck, that was nice. So, what happened was, uh, since Beth is leaving tomorrow, like she's driving five hours, or a total of eight, mind you. <clears throat> so I decided, you know what, honey, I'm a good husband. I'm gonna go fill the truck up for you. What a what a job, what a man! What I a know, right? Of a man. <laughs> wow, look at this absolute stud. Ugh. All right, so I drive down a few blocks, right? Uh, quick trips right on this corner of Central and Oliver. Uh, it's on the northwest corner. So I fill up, whatever, and I pull out to... Wow, for once. I know, right? <laughs> Sorry, Will. Uh... <laughs> Love you, Will. Um, but yeah, so I pull onto the road heading east to west. And then at that intersection, uh, there's a truck in front of me. And we're turning left onto Oliver. And... Uh, so, so pretty much, <clears throat> we get the green arrow, we go, and as we're going on Oliver and we're going forward, going northbound, this guy pulls out in this Buick, this shitty-ass Buick, and Always I'm within, oh, for real, I'm, I'm within like, wow, well, two meters of the truck in front of me, because, uh, you know, we're going like, I don't know, 15, 20 miles an hour, right? Uh, and this guy just jumps out there, and so I gotta slam on my brakes, and uh, you know I, I beat my horn at him, letting him know like, "Hey, dickhead, I'm here. I almost hit you." And uh, the guy pulls in front of me, which was the right way to do it, of course. You know, being a left-hand turn lane, uh, he flips me off, and then he waves me off, and then without using a turn signal, jumps into the lane to my right. And I have my windows down, mind you, because it's a nice cool breeze. And this guy uh, comes back towards me, looks at me, and it's funny because there are cops blocking three blocks on the right-hand side of us as we're at, like we're coming up to them, right? They've got three blocks cut off because people were shooting fireworks and some dumb shit. And uh, this guy, he's looking at me. He has a, a lady in his passenger seat, and then he pulls up this, it's like a, we call them shorties, it's like a real short shotgun. What? That, yeah, it's not the first time. So he, he pulls a shotgun over, right? He has his left arm on the steering wheel, and he lays a shotgun on his arm, aiming it at me. And I already had my handgun in my hand, because that's what <laughs> I do. pull out the strap. I, well... The, the quick trip I was at, it's kind of a necessity. Uh, so I, I had it with me. No round in the chamber because it doesn't have a safety. Life? I'm just interested. In this what <laughs> Iraq. <is> this? <laughs> you know what? I feel bad for the guy with the uh, shoddy because like, he's going up against the MMP's own Marine. Like He's going up against the cream of the HIDF. Well, funny you say that because um, he, he, his little shorty was a pump. Okay. <laughs> and uh so he would have had to you know bring the weapon back pump it and shoot again which by that time 
my magazine of six would have been somewhere in his vehicle. Uh, but he points that thing at me, and I'm driving. I look at him. No rounds in the chamber of my pistol because it doesn't have a safety. So the moment I see him aim his shotgun at me, I look at my steering wheel. I press my pistol against it to rack it, and then I point it at him. And this guy takes the fuck off. And we have the same intersection we turn at, apparently. But this guy went right, and I went left. And by the time I got there to turn left, I could not see his car anywhere. Wow. So, so clearly either, you didn't have one in the chamber. <laughs> Do either, not, yeah, either A, bro, bro didn't have one in the chamber, B, he was scared of the smoke, or C... Uh, he had his old lady in the car, and he was thinking of her. Either way, dude doesn't know how to drive. And uh, I, I don't think he was seat. thinking of his lady if he's pointing a gun and trying to get into a firefight with her in the car. That's uh, I don't think that's his priority. I'm not going to lie to you. I felt pretty badass after racking that pistol on the steering <laughs> wheel. <laughs> my, my man, my man <laughs> messed with the Horizon Islands Defense Forces and the Horizon Islands Defense Forces. <laughs> so it, it's did funny to wreck it in front of him. Like, did he see that you do that? Or yes, he did. My because <laughs> my the way I was sitting, my left hand is on the steering wheel, and I'm holding my gun against my leg to where no one can see it. Okay, so he didn't know I had it. Until he aimed a shotgun, and then that's when I reached up, and I, like, basically punched the steering wheel, but the gun's in the hand, so it racked around in the chamber, and I, just, I literally just aimed it at him, and he, he took off. We were going, at that time, we are going about 30 miles an hour, speed limit's 35. He had to be going, like, 50. By cops, mind you. There were three blocks worth, there were three blocks of an area where cops had the road blocked off and just standing there, and they watched this. Not a damn one of them did a damn thing. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. It's a cool story, but uh, first time. It's funny because the two times I've had a gun pulled on me, it's been by the same weapon. It's a shorty shotgun, and the first time was when I was still in the Marine Corps. We flew back for uh, Christmas or something like. It was around that time, and we had just left my wife's house or my wife's parents' house, and her dad gave me 40 bucks for my birthday. So that was the only, I don't carry cash. That was the only cash I had on me. So we're driving a rental car, and we're by the airport because we're leaving. Uh, I get a fly back to California, so I don't have my gun on me because I can't fly with a, with a handgun. Uh, so we stopped at the store, and it, was, uh, it wasn't a quick trip, but it was a, uh, a racetrack, which is like quick trip. And basically, this big-ass, blacked-out SUV rolls up, and it's the middle of the day. And this is uh, Middle Eastern dudes like, hey, man, uh, I'm trying to sell these gold chains and watches, you know, to get my family back to wherever the fuck. And he's got his kid in the seat. It's obviously a scam, right? It's a very common scam. Like, oh, dude, sorry, I don't carry cash. And I look and I'm trying to tell this guy this. And as I'm as I'm telling him this, I look to the back seat behind the driver and the windows blacked out. But I look between the seat and the door and there's a dude laying back with a little shoddy pointing at me through the window that's blacked out. So I wasn't supposed to see the guy. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. So I handed him 40 bucks. He said, thanks. And they drove away. I called the cops. So on and so forth. I was a little heated. I didn't have a gun on me. So lost my birthday a, money. That would be just a walk around the back and then empty, your, empty a magazine. <laughs> uh, 
fuck that. I would have, quote, reached for my wallet and right then and there, fuck that guy. The dude <laughs> looked like he was, I remember his face, too. He looked like he was maybe 20, like my age at the time. I was pissed. No yeah. So, lesson here, gentlemen, if you're in the States, stay strapped or get clapped <laughs> and carry 40 bucks. HIDF tip of the day. If they pull a Glock on you, pull a 30 millimeter on them. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfectly legal to roll around in a Bradley. It is completely fine. They are street legal. Mm. <sighs> yes. Well, gentlemen, speaking of street legal, or in this case, lack thereof, to this week, we will be discussing the Leopard family of tanks. Woo! Can't wait. But first, shall we do some introductions? Oh, of course. Well, you got uh, me, Callum, coming in from New Zealand, and I have myself uh, being a bit of a hipster to this here this time. I've got a uh, Nectron IPA from Castles, and uh, let's see if I can capture this well. That was pretty good. It was, you know, I, I could seven. hear the uh, air release pretty well. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I would give it a seven. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a solid seven. Maybe I, I might go as far as a six, but yeah, it's solid. It, I mean, it, it wasn't as good as like the intro one, you know. That 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 oh, thing was fuck just, no. Yeah. First, well, only time I've hit it perfect, but yeah, you know, what 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 can you do? Anyway, that's me. Well, uh, next you got me, Garrison, here in Kansas, uh, defending off me and my fucking Ford Ranger from Meth Heads. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking a coffee and working on a MiG-21. And you got me, Dennis, up here in Ontario. Happy Canada Day to all my Canadian friends. And whoop, whoop. I, am I am Canadian. One day, inshallah. <laughs> and I am currently sipping on a Kirkland Diet Green Tea. It's very good. And it's also your birthday. Happy yes. birthday to you. Happy and birthday you. to you. It so happens that Dennis got a leopard for his birthday too. I did actually, I, I, and that wasn't even planned. Like that just happened. Your girl knows, bro. She's in the server. She knows. She <laughs> oh, she hooked me up with that. Look, my biggest flex in life. My girlfriend hooks me up with stealth technology. That's all I'm gonna say. My girlfriend is secretly a, a working for Northrop Grumman. Hey, 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 hey! I, I'm exposing that. I'm Next exposing. Dennis, tell Garrison what you got. You got a pretty good stash. Did I, did I not tell? Okay, dude. Oh, you so told you know me, about but let's tell the Because I was nothing about that all day. Tamiya <laughs> 112 scale Honda NSR 500, the uh, the race bike, uh, Warhammer tank, and yeah, Leopard 2A7. Man, that's a footlong YF23. Yep. The only footlong oh, in that yeah. relationship. That, yep. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes a six inch will get it done. And that right, Jared, who's in prison. You know what I'm talking about? Jared from yep, fucking yep. Subway. Fucking creep. What? What? I'm so lost. There must be an American. You're lost? What? No, it's. it's what? Bro, well, you know, you know, stop the Dennis, whole thing. Dennis, Dennis, you know, you know the, the fat guy from uh, Subway who's like, went no. got thinny because he was too. Fat to walk anywhere, so we just no, went to Subway, no, and then there's like I have no idea what you're talking it, about. It, it was like it was marketing from years ago. To be yeah, sure. he, there's pictures of him like in one of his old pants, standing in one of the the pant legs. What they didn't know in the footage is there's a, a couple kids down there as well. Oh, yeah, the the dude was a with a pedophile 
and uh, he was like the the broad like the face of Subway for oh, a yeah. few years. Oh yeah, See, that, I, that killed I'm, Subway for a dude, while. I just that? turned twenty, man. I'm not that old, bro. I'm I'll be twenty five in November. I'm not yeah, that much hell, older man. than you. Turning to dust right before Ugh. our very eyes. You old, uh. you you little youngins. Ugh. Yeah, I'm still the young guy on the podcast. I can I can claim that. Anyway, tonight's episode, yes. Tonight, in partial honor of Canada Day, we are talking about NATO's other tank. Not the Abrams, but the Lebanon. The Challenger. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) The Leclerc? Shut up. (laughs) The Sherman. I, I should have put in the side about the EMBT, but honestly, I think there's enough we could do an entire mini episode on the EMBT. To be honest, we probably could. Well, the whole um, getting, like, that whole section of fucking tank history of America and Germany trying to build a tank together and failing. That would be a good episode, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, to start off with, dear viewers, I'm blessing you and my fellow podcast members with this beautiful shot of a Canadian Leopard 2A6 M can. Blowing its load. Downrange. Oh, damn. Hey, Garrison, you're going to like Eric Garrison, you're going to like this. You know what's one thing that makes Canadian leopards different from all other leopards? What's that? It apologizes? Yes. (laughs) It's not. They have air conditioning. Ah! I got to join the Canadian Army. Ignore my bad knees and back and memory loss. I don't think that'll stop you. (laughs) You know what I like about this photo? One of the road wheels is, like, different colored. It's too clean. What's going on here? It's like, why, oh, why is hey, it? Yo. It's like you got tan and then you got green. Like, what happened here? Yeah, you, you There's got probably like a... a modeler on board that fucking tank, and he's like, nah, I need some, need some to break up the monotony here. Yeah, this is overwithered. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see that the hubcap itself is covered in mud, so it means that they had to take a road wheel off, put a brand new one on, and then throw the hubcap back on. Probably in oh, the field as well. Up. I, yeah, I do like it. I do like how you can see the mud splatter going all the way up to the top yeah. of the turret. Like, don't ever let anybody tell you that your model is overweathered. Yeah, no. They're a bunch of idiots. I, yes. I, I'm saying that on the record. Well then, <laughs> let us start from the very beginning with the goofy-ass Leopard 1. It's not goofy, it does its best. Go, go, dude, Calm. Let me let me get the laser point out. Okay. What is wrong with this tank? Uh, awkward. It, actually, I'm gonna. Never mind. I'm. I'm not gonna. Actually, fuck it. It looks like the pointer. <laughs> well, the tracks are back to front. Exactly. What the? Fuck? Oh, you're supposed to laugh, you fucking dicks. <laughs> <laughs> We're just leaving you dry on that one. Well then, just like that. Back to 1965, <laughs> when Porsche and Krauss Maffei designed and built the Leopard 1. The Leopard 1 was the first domestically produced German tank after the Second World War. And <laughs> domestic German tanks, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Took a long domestic... time getting there. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Once Germany was oh. finally domesticated. Watch it, he's going to Kursk again. Oh no. <laughs> Oh right, no, sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm going to open up a salient. Oh no, oops. <laughs> Did someone uh, say Blitzkrieg? <laughs> uh, sorry, so, sorry. <laughs> let's do a brief overview of what the Leopard 1 was. So basically, back in the 1960s, Germany wanted to replace their aging American M40 series tanks with a tank of their own design. This is what they came up with. The 
basically the main features of the Leopard 1 that I think as modelers we'd be interested in. It has thin armor, really, really good suspension and tracks, which would actually carry over all the way to the modern day. It would have a very, very powerful engine. It was an MTU MBA38, and that one was an 819 horsepower engine back in 1965. So stupid powerful. Um, To give you some reference, this one weighed only 42 tons. That's like... What else is like from World War II that's 42 tons? Like the Panther was... It was in the 40-ish ton range, wasn't it? I thought the Panther was slightly heavier than 40 tons. It might have been slightly heavier. Yeah. But anyway, basically, like, from a modeler's standpoint, imagine a Panther tank with an 800 horsepower engine. Um, And an even better gun. Exactly. Oh, we'll talk about the gun. So the gun on the Leopard 1 was a licensable copy of the British Royal Ordnance L7-105. And that is, I think, Callum, you'll agree with me, that's probably one of the best any tank guns ever made. Oh yeah, like it has been used in so many tanks. It, it's even still used now, and it's still capable of punching through a lot of things. Yeah, like the British yeah. knew the British know how to make anti-tank guns for yes. a while. Yeah, um, no, actually, some... I'll, I'll stand by that point. I'll, I will stand by it, and I will defend it one day if anyone asks. That's anyway, fair. yeah. Um, so a little tidbit about the Leopard One, because I know, like, I think we all want to get onto the juicier tanks, but while we're here. <laughs> Interesting. There's juice. There, there is juice to be had. The juice tank. Uh, the Leopard One was actually a collaborative project between uh, West Germany and France and Italy. Um, unfortunately, however, the partnership ended shortly after the final design was ordered by the Bundeswehr. In total, six thousand four hundred eighty-five Leopard tanks have been built, and uh, I think of those four thousand seven hundred or so were battle tanks. The rest being, you know, utility tanks, capards, that sort of thing. Is that is that because the Italians insisted on putting the transmission in backwards? You know, I one forward, don't five know back. Why they pulled out? <laughs> but they did. Yeah. But they um, said no to a new Germany. That's why. That's pretty much it, yeah. But <laughs> they've so got flashbacks. One of the reasons why the Leopard One was so important, you know, from a tank history standpoint, was because it was really, in many respects, it wasn't the first MBT. But in many ways, it was a sign of where MBTs were going, if that makes sense. So one thing with the Leopard with the Leopard 1, it has very thin armor, right? Um, this was an intentional decision, actually. So this was back in the 1960s. High explosive anti-tank rounds are becoming a lot more common. So the thinking at the time is armor is just like, it, armor is obsolete at this point, right? Because in theory, a heat round can go through like over, you know, two, three hundred millimeters of armor. So there's no point in building tanks with uh, any kind of survivability on them, right? With the Leopard, unlike, say, its American predecessors, it's designed just to be fast, to have a powerful gun, and to be able to fire on the move. One of the reasons why it was able to fire on the move, it had advanced optics, and it also had a stabilizer for the gun. So this kind of marks. Oh. Yeah. It that, kind of, the it, fucking beer video. Yeah, yeah exactly. That was that, yeah, that is a Leopard 1, like, isn't it? It is. I think it was a Leopard 2. Was it? But it, it's, it's the same thing. It must have been an early one. Yeah, it was an early one, but like, yeah. same same idea, right? The idea being, rather than building a tank that's designed to take damage as it were, right? You give it a minimum amount of armor, keep the weight down, give it fantastic trans, give it a fantastic engine, give it fantastic off-road mobility through the suspension tracks, a stabilizer and a really good gun and see how fast it can go, right? 
And uh, this one could reach up to 65 kilometers an hour. Jesus. See, this also would, you reckon the thinking for, you know, you got the Cold War, you got, you know, the threat of Russia suddenly invading somewhere. So the Leopard 1 with its speed would be a very good, like, sort of intercept or, you know, like, yeah, you reckon yeah, that was I in mean, their thinking of like it's fast enough to get to somewhere and start just doing something. That's absolutely. I I don't really know. Obviously, I'm not inside the head of the designers, but I'd say if you put yourself in West Germany's position during the Cold War, you have a small army, right? You don't have a lot, so you would be better suited to working as a rapid reaction force in NATO rather than trying to fend off the whole Soviet invasion yourself. These things are fast enough that if you can use roads you can get to any point of Soviet breakthrough pretty fast. And with, again, that really powerful uh, gun, it would be able to do quite a bit of damage to any Soviet tank at the time. This would be a, this is, this is pure um, shoot and scoot. It, that's exactly it. Yeah. And again, the idea here is that it was kind of an overreaction. I would say like, and you see this to some extent with like American tanks, like, you know, the Sheridan was an earlier design and obviously there, there are huge differences. I was supposed to be air mobile, but you look at a lot of American tanks and armor gets thinner. And it's the same with, say, the French tanks or the British tanks even. British is a bit weird because you have things like the Chieftain, but on the whole, after the advent of things like anti-tank guided missiles with heat warheads, people start to think that maybe tanks are becoming obsolete. And that's why you see with things like the Leopard, it's, it is a tank, but you're sacrificing a lot of the armor protection for things like speed and firepower. So it's almost more like a in in some ways, it's more like a tank destroyer, like an M eighteen. Yeah, well, I mean, the, with the British, with their thinking, their their hulls were, you know, the Centurion, the Chieftain, the Conqueror, uh, the hulls were pretty weak, but the turrets were incredibly strong. They, oh, yes. their doctrine is uh, hull down. I recall hearing, I think it was a tank chat from the Tank Museum, and it was about the Chieftain, and one crewman said, you know, if you had a Chieftain in a hull down position, there was really nothing that could take it out. And yeah, that was back like the, in the, the 80s. Yeah, the front front turret of a chieftain, like when it's angled right and it's hull down and everything, you will not be able to hit it. And if you did hit it, you could not penetrate that bastard. Yeah. And it also just yeah. looks awesome. Yeah, so that is the original Leopard 1. That was primarily used by West Germany. I believe also the Netherlands used it as well. It was, you know, it was an esoteric design. But you can even see just by looking at the suspension, looking at the gun, it's laying the foundations for what would become an incredibly successful tank family. I'm just going to ask, the, the tracks that they got on it on that one, those yep. look like American pattern style or something like that. Are I, they like borrowed? Or? I cannot say this for sure, but I'm 90% sure those are actually just M48 tracks because they're double yeah. pin. They're double yeah, pin M48 they, tracks. Combat. They look very American. Yeah. Even the road wheels, they look like the, the lower yeah. half looks uh, M48. Well, you have to imagine, because they had so many M48s in service, it would be nice to have even a little bit of parts commonality. Oh, yeah. That's actually also, a good idea. Garrison, the top uh, right photo, that would be perfect for you to make into a diorama. It, it I was literally thinking that earlier. That he's he's already planning that one. Yeah. Don't you have, yeah, don't got, you have a Leopard one? I have the, 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 the to me, an old one, but dude, that kit is just fucking outdated, bro. Like, I've tried three times now to start that kit. I just, I look at it time and again. I'm like, no, I got to get a better one. Send it to me. I'll, I'll have it built in a week. <laughs> it would cost me like a paycheck to send it to you. <laughs> yeah. 
So one thing that I think is pretty neat to talk, to talk about with the Leopard 1 is that even though the original design, it's great, but it was a product of the 1960s, right? And this is a tank that serves, I mean, countries like Canada are using them to this day. So the Leopard 1 has undergone a lot of really neat incremental improvements where it gradually is changing shape to become a much more competent main battle tank for the modern era. So I think we're just going to briefly go over some of the neat variants here. So this tank you see here on the left, this is a Leopard 1A1. So basically with the Leopard 1A1, you've got a few major changes. The first one is actually the tracks. So they got rid of those M48 style double pin tracks to go for single pin tracks, which are kind of like the standard kind you see on the Leopard. The 1A1 also added a thermal jacket on the gun barrel to essentially control heating of the barrel and prevent it from warping over time. And it included a new stabilizer from Cadillac Gauge. As well, it also had the PZB200 image intensification system, which is right here. That's basically like the new gunner's sight. Okay. It looks yeah. like the gun mantlet is also being up-armored. And they, they also add, began to add up-armoring packages to the turret and gun mantlet. You can see some of them here, right there, and then also around the mantlet. Mm, yeah. God, it looks like uh, the camo net. Oh, Yeah. In Armor Three, the uh, I think it's a the global mobilization. They've got this variant of the Leopard One. It is so fun to play with. It is pretty neat, and this is basically you know this came out fairly soon. I'm trying to remember when it came out. It was like '74, so late, just about nine years after the original Leopard One came off the line. They're basically going back to starting to up armor them because I think people realized. Yes, heat rounds are a big issue, but things like space armor, like these on the turret. It does do a lot to help prevent against that. Uh, this tank you see here is the Australian AS-1. That was their variant of the Leopard 1. Uh, that one was basically used to replace the British Centurions after the Vietnam War. Um, but in 2004, it was re replaced with US uh, M1A1s. I, I will that say, Aussie camo goes hard. It does. I, That's I hate to admit it, because, yeah. you know, New Zealander, yeah. but the Aussies, they even their Abrams look Way better than the Americans. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's fucking American. It's Kark Tan. Fucking idiots. <laughs> uh, and then on the bottom here, this is pretty neat. This is a Canadian Leopard C2. Uh, so Canada has, and we're going to talk about this a bit later, but Canada has had a long history of taking leopards and pimping them out. The C2 <laughs> is just one example of it. Um, to spare you some unnecessary details, what the C2 program basically amounted to was making the Leopard 1s into a 1A5. So the idea here was that the Leopard 1A5 adds, first of all, again, the composite turret armor. Um, it also added... Uh, actually, no, yeah, that, yeah, that's composite. It's made of polycarbonate, actually. Um, as well, they added a new thermal optics system to it, a new image intensifier, and it had a new fire control system. So basically, this C2 has a similar fire control system to early Abrams. Damn. There, yeah. There's one thing annoying me about this photo. Which one? The bottom one? Bottom right one. Yeah. Road wheel, third one in, on the left. It's sitting on the track pin. Yeah. It's not It's not aligned. That's, that, that's annoying me. That 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 is... Uh, oh, God, it is. That, that is Canadian <laughs> gate guardians for you. <laughs> it's like, gee, oh, that poor road wheel having the, the bloody guide horn digging into it. Yeah. All Ugh. these years. Yeah. So basically, like, to sum up Leopard improvements over the years, you start off, 
you add improved image intensifiers, you add the better tracks, then you go towards adding things like, okay, now we're going to add, you know, add on armor panels, we're going to add on uh, better, you know, fire control systems, then you end up with this. The C2 is basically the most modern version of the Leopard 1. It is still used by the Canadian Reserves. The Chileans also use it as well, I think it's Brazilians. Um, and this is basically like, it's Damn, not... Brazil has these? Yeah, Brazil has them. The Leopard 185BR. The fuck are they fighting over there besides the cartel? Well, how else are you going to fight the cartel, dude? That's fair. Um, Yeah, these are like, it's interesting because the Leopard 1 has basically, throughout all these years, been kept fairly modern to the point where, say, something like the C2, it's not obviously like, say, Abrams level, but as a second-rate MBT, it's fantastic because it's got all the stuff. It's got a great gun, fantastic mobility. It's protection's getting better, and it's got an amazing fire control system. It's the ultimate reserve tank. Exactly. It is the ultimate reserve tank, and that was basically the fate of the Leopard 1. Uh, So just to talk a little bit more about it. So, interestingly, when Canada went to Afghanistan, we were planning on retiring all of our tanks. Those were all of our Leopard 1s. We were just going to get rid of them and replace them with the Stryker MGS. Uh, That did not happen. Uh, Is that because the Striker and MGS were shit? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm God, look at that. That uh, The one on the left. Yes. It looks like um, it's cosplaying so... an Abram. <laughs> <laughs> so when Canada went to Afghanistan, one of the things that we found out fairly quickly was that there was still a need for tanks. Because tanks had one thing, and that was a very, very powerful gun that could shoot a long distance. Uh, the main armored vehicle we had had prior to that was the Lav 3. And the Lav 3 is great. You know, it's fast, it can carry troops relatively safely, and it's got a Bushmaster. But it's a wheeled vehicle. So one thing that was found in Afghanistan was, due to the things like the mine and IED threat, you need to have a vehicle that, if it was hit by one, yeah, you, you know, you can have the mobility kill, but the people inside need to be safe. And this, these were, this was in the days before MRAPs had been fully developed. So they decided to basically take all of our Leopard C2 tanks, which we saw on the other slide, and up-armor them. So this is the Leopard C2A1. And what this is essentially is a full, like, state-of-the-art modernization of the Leopard 1 to fight the counterinsurgency in Afghanistan. So to sum it up, I already told you about the C2. The main difference between this and the C2A1 the C2A1 adds a completely new composite armor module, which you can see basically here on the sides of the hull and then on the turret with the huge cheeks and the massive rear bustle. Uh, <laughs> so the idea huge with cheeks. this was that now you essentially have a leopard tank with composite armor survivability. So things like RPGs, uh, SPG guns, these are not even going to scratch it because they're the composite armor modules. Um, as, on top of that, they later got better thermals and they got air conditioning. And these were basically the workhorse of the Canadian War in Afghanistan all the way up until like 2009, I want to say. Oh, damn. And these were partially responsible for how quickly Canada wiped out the Taliban. So I don't know much about Canada's involvement in the Middle East. I know like they were there. I, I, I don't. So what exactly, like how many troops were on the ground? Oh God, it was a few thousand. Um, few basically, thousand. Canada was part of the original coalition that invaded Afghanistan. They were one of the groups that uh, deposed the Taliban government. Um, okay. What and you know how Afghanistan was basically broken down into sectors of control afterwards. Yep. 
So Canada basically single-handedly had to control Kandahar province, which you have Kabul. Oh, wait, Kandahar hold up. Sec- yep. how, long, how long were y'all tasked with Kandahar? Up until... I think it was 2011 when the pullout began. It was over by 2014 or something like that. What? Yeah. Dude, we... There were Marines there too. Yeah, there, there were Marines there as well. But the, basically, Kandahar Holy province shit. was Canadian control. So, like, there were other groups. Like, I think the British operated there, the Marines operated there. But the whole thing was ultimately a Canadian operation. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, that was. So, the second most populous province in Afghanistan was partially under the control of the Canadians. And these tanks were used there basically to prosecute the Taliban in conventional warfare. So one of the tactics the Canadian used was to actually force the Taliban to engage them like on a one-to-one conventional fight where obviously having tanks and stuff like that, you know, the Canadians won fairly easily. So things like Operation Medusa and Operation Athena were operations where the Canadians drew the Taliban out and forced them to fight on, on a, basically a level playing ground. Um, and that's where these tanks came in very handy. Dude, that is... I didn't know Canada served in Kandahar province. Yeah, th- that was like... There were thousands. Dude, that is... I'm going to have to do some research on that. That's awesome. I, I can actually send you a paper if you want on Canadian tanks in Afghanistan. And Just Canadian forces in general, too. That yeah. Would, yeah, please do that. Thank you. Yeah, and that's another photo of the uh, C2 Mexus there. Really neat subject, I'd say. And again, don't ever let anyone tell you your model is uh, overweathered. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that, uh, look at that. <laughs> that wet streaking down the side is just that is cool. That is good. Yeah, and like that, uh, that so good. basically, in terms of production vehicles, I'd say this is about as good as the Leopard one ever got. Like this thing was the ultimate counterinsurgency vehicle. And the fact it's a Leopard one at, at its that's... core, it's the same as the uh, tank that I showed you on the first slide, <laughs> which is just kind of mind-boggling if you think about it. Like, holy shit. We took them down to LA Customs. Got new well, wheels. Oh God! Well, think about <laughs> it. The because the Taliban, you know, they got like T fifty fives and shit, right? Like the occasional, and it's fighting its, you know, Cold War counterpart. That's you know, beef the fuck up. It's like that's oh God! I wish actually never mind. I'm, I'm gonna not. <laughs> and so, I thought, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna ask. Um, I'll let you finish that. I was gonna ask you about the other two. Uh, well, German actually, I'm glad you asked because that's a perfect segue. So I thought just to uh, give you guys a little something to uh, look at, these two pictures are of the Leopard 1A6 prototype. So they made the 1A5, right? And I was kind of saying that, like, that's, that was the last production upgrade they made um, that was exported to multiple customers, not a single country. They also made the Leopard 1A6, and this was a prototype. This was based on the Leopard 1A1A1, it was modified with additional armor on the turret and equipped with a L44 120mm gun. Uh, this project was ended in 1987 because it was replaced by the Leopard 2. But basically, if they had not gone with the Leopard 2, this is what they were going to go with. Huh. Is it just me or does the turret look really far forward? I think I it's because they... of the, the composite armor cheeks. I think so. It's it it kind of like it's kind of got kind of got the profile of like say a Pershing or an M forty six or something like that. You know, like the turret's quite far up front. It's kind of yeah. got that sort of silhouette. It's... It's funny. 
<laughs> I think we may what have the excited. Fuck was that? Uh, I mean, I mentioned the P E R S H I N G. Um, <laughs> can you? What do you spell? What do you spell? <laughs> um, please put the uh, Pershing waifu into the slide. No, God Don't damn it. I, I redact a... everything I just said. Don't worry, Dennis. Just, just, just wait. Just wait. Why can't? No, we? not my God. You, oh, whatever. Well, anyway, now uh, we get to talk about the cool one, the Leopard Two. So, look at it. In summary, the Leopard One had a lot of great lessons. You know what we get out of it? Well, we found out that having a fast tank is cool. Fast MBTs are neat. Uh, firepower is key. Having a good fire control system is also important. So things like good optics and good thermals are going to be important. Um, and we found out that the MTU power plant was a fantastic way to get a tank around the battlefield. And the suspension and tracks were great as well. You will notice on the Leopard 2, these are carried over from the Leopard 1. I mean, if it mm. works. Yeah, same same power plant. Same, basically, for all intents and purposes, the hull is similar. It's got an upgraded but similar power plant. Again, upgraded but similar tracks, suspension, the whole deal, right? They're taking basically the parts of the Leopard 1 that were best, and they are slapping new stuff onto it. So this was something that was kind of cool because this was already being thought of as the Leopard 1 was entering service. Uh, now, of course, this was born out of the MBT-70 project, which was that disaster that America and Germany collaborated on. They wanted to basically make a next-generation tank uh, as a joint partnership. Uh, that obviously collapsed, and we got two tanks out of that. We got the Abrams and the Leopard 2. A, to a, uh, Leopard 2. So really, uh, it, it, it worked out in the end. It, I, I mean, I'm happy with how this went. <laughs> yeah. It's like the two best friends, and then they meet their new best friend, the Challenger 2. It's like they're all just happy and dominating <coughs> Eastern European armor. <laughs> and then you have the Leclerc in the background going, hi, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's the kid on the basketball court that no one talks to. And that's why no one plays basketball anymore. <laughs> yeah. So starting in 1967, West Germany was basically beginning to research, you know, how could they improve the Leopard 1, which is crazy because it entered service only two years prior. But they were already looking at, okay, what can we do to improve this design? To say, basically, they went through a major, like, they just bought prototypes. They had, like, something like a dozen different prototypes for Leopard 2. And you can see this is one on the side here, the T14. Again, you can basically see kind of a similarity to the Leopard 186 on the previous slide, where, you know, you're adding composite armor, you're changing up the hull a little bit, adding the 120mm gun, but in many ways, it's still got a lot of those similarities. And then, in 1979, we get this. The production uh, Leopard 2. Oof. I, I love the insignias they got on the front cheeks. Oh, yeah. So, uh, let's skip right to it. The, basically, if from a modeling standpoint, the first Leopard 2 you're going to want to worry about is Leopard 2A4. Because that was the first one to really enter series production. The Leopard 2A4 takes a lot of similarities with the Leopard 1 in terms of the power plant and hull. But it builds upon this a lot. Uh, basically, with this, you have a new turret and new hull armor that uses composite uh, materials. That is why the Leopard 2A4 has such a square-looking turret, because originally, with the composite armor package it used, it has this need to have very flat surfaces. You can't curve composite armor. So that's why it's got that very tiger-looking turret. Um, again, 
Vimetol L44, 120 millimeter gun. It's fantastic, right? It's being at this point proven all over the world. Um, yeah, and it incorporates things like blowout panels uh, for the first time. You can see here, this is a Canadian 2A4 in yes, the New Brunswick. On the side. Uh-huh. Yeah, it I do. I like so the black. Good. I like the black maple leaf. It looks good. It's, that it's, turret uh, is fucking massive, isn't it? Well, it, that's one dude. of the things that you're going to see with, say, the Leopard 2 series that you won't see on the Leopard 1. It has that really long turret bustle. And again, again, it's like on the Abrams. It's because of the blowout panels. You want to have your ready rack in this state where if it's hit, it's not going to explode into the tank. It's going to explode away from the tank. Um, that's one of the reasons why in the Leopard tank, most of the time, if your ammo rack is hit, the safest place to be is in the tank. Yeah. Yeah. Tell the Russians well, that. <laughs> My Dennis, white smoke means tank go boom. Seethe. Seethe. That's all I got to say about Cope and Seethe, yeah. man. <laughs> Oh, man. I just love this. So, the, so uh, what happened with the was. Leopard 2 A1 to A3? Are they just like concept designs or like as just like far, meh? And again, I'm not an expert on the Leopard. I'll admit to that. Mommy the way and Daddy I understand don't talk it, about them. The way I understand it is that basically 1 through 3... They were real tanks, but they never entered series production. The 2A4 is the first one that really entered proper series production and was exported. So really, that's why the that's the first one that we often talk about. All right, all right, gotcha, gotcha. So then, in the mid two thousands, there's this idea that well, the 2A4 is great, right? Fantastic mobility, great optics, so on and so forth, but. What if we have to protect it more in, say, an asymmetrical combat environment like Afghanistan, for instance? You know, what about heat rounds? Now, of course, the composite armor on the Leopard 2A4 is great. It's very effective against heat rounds, but can we make it better? And that's where the Leopard 2A5 comes in. For all intents and purposes, you can think of the 2A5 as basically being a survivability and situational awareness improvement on the Leopard 2A4. The gun is the same. The internals of the turret and the hull are the same. The 2A5 adds what's called the Arrowhead Armor Package, and this is basically an additional layer of composite armor that is spaced um, on top of the original 2A4's armor. So underneath all these wedge-shaped armor components, there is just a 2A4 turret, but now you're adding spaced composite armor, which is basically the idea of it, is if it's hit by, say, a heat round, for instance, right? The first problem is for the heat round, it's sloped armor, so its effectiveness is already reduced considerably. On top of that, it has to penetrate this composite armor and go through that open air, which open air is not good for a heat round after it's already been activated. And then it has to somehow try and get through the second layer, the original layer of armor, composite armor. So the Arrowhead module greatly improves the protection on the turret, especially against uh, heat rounds. The other thing that this uh, Leopard 25 gets is the Commander's Independent Thermal Viewer, uh, the CITV, which is something that at this point most modern tanks had. Wasn't it like the, the effective armor thickness of the arrowhead, something like two meters, if it was just solid steel? Yeah, pretty was... much. Yep. Jesus Christ. And again, if I should put an image in here. Arrowhead modules are thin. They are extremely thin, but the reason why they're so effective, they've got that open air between them and the secondary layer of armor. So if you've got a heat round, it's gonna get it's gonna activate to get through the arrowhead module, but that's gonna cross all this open air, and that's not good for the copper jet the copper jet is supposed to go through steel not open air yeah 
aren't, aren't the uh, arrowheads also like hinged? I think I've seen them hinged just to, so you yep, can access uh, for easy access. Yep. Yeah, to panels and stuff like that. Exactly. That, yep. That's actually that's good forward thinking. I got to say, that's like they actually considered that, and yeah. The 285 is a really interesting tank. The way I often think about it to myself is like, this is imagined for modern Leopards, the Sherman 75. They kept the L44 gun and many countries like Germany and Spain still use this tank, even though the 286 is out because that lower velocity gun is much more effective against soft targets. So there is a tactical reason why you might want to keep a tank with a slightly less powerful gun. It's the assault. It's the assault. It's the assault Leopard. That's what it is. Basically. It's the, the, it's the Leopard Jumbo. The U.S. only sent Leopard 285s to Normandy because they did not think that the Leopard 286 would be necessary. <laughs> that is a little obscure Sherman joke for you all there. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, here is the Leopard 286. So again, oh, in the God, late 2000s, this is basically the improvement that came out with the Leopard 285. Biggest thing here, the addition of the new gun. So instead of the Rheinmetall L44, it now has the L55, which can fire significantly larger and longer ammunition, which has a much higher muzzle velocity. So this, in many respects, is sort of equivalent to, say, the U.S. upgunning their Abrams tanks with depleted uranium ammunition. It still fires tungsten core sable rounds, but because of that boost in muzzle velocity, they have just that ability to overmatch Russian armor. And that's so this what this is like. Really um... Like World War Two terms, the A five is like the Tiger One, the A six is like the Tiger Two with the the longer barrel eighty eight. Yeah. With the larger I, ammo. I, Except I, for breaking down and shit, it's yeah, uh, it but actually it's actually works. useful. <laughs> I, you know what, I would even go so far as to say the two A five is the Sherman seventy five, the two A six is the Sherman seventy six, because fundamentally, when you break it down, the two A five and two A six are the same tank, except with a different gun, right? And so you know, different obviously the different things to accommodate that different gun but fundamentally it's a firepower upgrade because the germans felt because they weren't going to be using depleted uranium ammunition they needed to have this ability to just completely overmatch anything that russia or china could come out with so that's so, why they came up with this so why don't they want to use depleted uranium ammo that is a question i don't actually have a solid answer for i think it just pertains to like what are some... they like the good guys now there's something that they, they just will not buy DU ammunition. It's either that or the Americans won't export it to them. It's one of the two. It'll be it'll be something like either the Americans won't export it, they don't want to have a single um, exporter. You know, like if you have like one brand that you buy from, they can rot the fuck out of you for it because you don't have a choice. I think there's also now like environmental concerns on using depleted uranium. Like they've been fired and they're going burying themselves into the ground and then now you've got uranium that's just in the fucking ground i think well i have read there that's like the uh the farmers environmentalists problem. do have concerns about that but that's you know the uh the farmer's problem not mine <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that is the 286 and then we get to the 287 <laughs> oh yeah. oh god look god at it damn. is it not beautiful that is it's amazing that, that shit is sci-fi yeah I mean, it. I, I remember growing up, I hated modern tanks because I thought they were like, you know, because they're quote futuristic. They're not Shermans and shit. But like, holy fuck, that is just. Mm. Yeah. So this is the latest version of the Leopard, the 287. Entered service in, with initial batch of 20 tanks in 2014. 
Uh, basically, what this is, is it's a 286, but they're adding stuff to it, if that makes sense. So it's got improved optics. It's got an improved... Uh, it's got improved armor modules. They have improved the kit, the ceramic armor, especially on the hull. Um, it, it's generally just basically the way you can think of it is a quality of life upgrade on the 2A6. But the cool thing about the 2A7 is it's being used as basically a platform to do things like install the trophy active protection system, RWS systems, stuff like that, right? So this is going to basically be the new 2A6, but as a platform to install cool upgrades on. Okay, so it's now the new base platform, and they can just throw new shit. Exactly. So, yeah. in a sense, this is the Sherman M4A1. In a Fucking. way, yeah. Oh, God, that's exciting. I can't wait to see this shit in, like, 20 years. And now we got to talk about foreign variants. We'll start off with Canada. So, Canada has upgraded both the Leopard 2A4 and 2A6. Um, so, on the left here... This is the Leopard 2A4 from Canada. This is a Canadian-specific variant. Basically, what they do is they gave a 2A4 composite armor modules and a new thermal site. And the idea being, basically, it now has protection equivalent to the Leopard 2A6. So, it's basically a 2A5 on the cheap, is the way you can okay. think about it. Yeah. But with more protection, because it's got the ceramic armor modules on the side as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's our 2A4, and that's kind of like the staple tank for the Canadians now. There's also the 2A6, which was uh, originally used in Afghanistan. It's a Dutch 2A6, uh, and then what we did is a couple things. More armor was first added to it, then the bar armor, then the Barracuda uh, thermal camouflage system, and then uh, new seats were added. These new seats are suspended by ropes and pulleys from the roof and you know, floor of the tank. The idea being that now we can drive over mines and the shock of the blast will get transferred through the tank, not through the crew. But yeah, huh. cool. That is yes. so smart, and that shows that Canada gives a fuck about its people. Oh, and it also has air conditioning. Uh, sign me up. Where's my maple syrup and fucking raccoon? Those Don, the, come uh, here! <laughs> those are the original 2A6Ms on, on uh, Patrol Route Hyena. That's one of the upgraded ones for the Barracuda thermal camouflage system. God damn. Also, Poland operates the Leopard 2PL, and this is basically, again, the Leopard 2A4. Again, they did the same thing the Canadians did add armor upgrades, add new CITV. So, essentially, what they're doing is bringing a 2A4 up to the standard of the 2A5, but on the cheap. Uh, Singapore also has one. This is the Leopard 2SG. This is pretty interesting because, on top of new optics, again, Leopard uh, 2A4. But it's fitted with the AMAP composite armor system, which is kind of like the Mexes composite armor system that I showed you on the uh, Leopard 1 slides. It also has bar armor as well. That bar armor is so cool. Although, if you had a model of it, it would be a bitch and a half to make. That would yeah. definitely be photo etch, and that is something we don't do. Waz, get over here. Or Waz, sorry. <laughs> Old habits die hard. <laughs> Where's my Coke? I'm not a fan of the Singaporean color, though. It's, what? Yeah, it needs to be weathered. That's why. Leopards have, leopards have also been used as engineering vehicles. This one here is a Burge Panzer three, I believe. The Buffle. This is pretty cool. I like it. It's got a huge crane on it and a dozer blade. 
everything's and better with the dozer blade. That's why I throw this photo in here. This Aww. is actually really cool. This is a Canadian Leopard with the composite armor upgrades. So even our engineering vehicles, we had the up armor. You got the little tactical umbrella pulling the lab three out of the mud. Look at the little lab. He's so cute. I, I just can't get over the umbrella. The umbrella is definitely my favorite part. <laughs> that <laughs> is pretty funny. Oh, that's Fucking good. Canadians. So, gentlemen, models, shall we discuss them? Well, now uh, that we're in the mood. Oh, yeah. And then I, I've essentially lubricated you guys up. Now it's time for the main event. Where <laughs> where Ukraine leopard? So, I added some now. I didn't know Ryefield was doing this, but basically Border and Ryefield are both making 2A6s with the uh, knife reactive armor that Ukraine makes, which is just so cool. And then, of course, you got their uh, their new Kodiak. Yeah, that's their uh, technology demonstrator for basically a replacement to the Burge Panzer III. This one's pretty cool. The Hobby Boss Iguana. This is their bridging vehicle based on the Leopard II. And then, of course, you got the Canadian version. And that one's actually a really good kit. comes with uh, rubber tracks, but I find they're really good. Is that... The bar armor, is that like photo witch or is that... Plastic. And it's actually pretty in scale. I mean, as far as plastic goes, it's fairly good. Oh, yeah. yeah you How fragile is it? No, not fi- fragile at all. Okay, so you could like sand it down a little bit if you want to. Absolutely, yeah. You could bend it if you want. Like heat it up and bend it. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Right on. And then, of course, you've got Mang's Leopard 2A7. And I've heard pretty good things about this. Obviously, being a main kit... Pretty complicated, but if you want to a seven and thirty fifth scale, that's the way it go. Uh, this one, I just add this for, for sure. Cool factor. Tiger makes a Leopard Two Revolution, which was basically a technology demonstrator before the two a seven with a one hundred and thirty millimeter gun. Uh, that is just that was uh, cool. Look at that box art. Uh, border uh, border is pretty cool because they do one a two a five dash two a six in seventy two scale. Uh, Hobby Boss does a couple of Canadian Leopards. Uh, Tamiya, of course, with their original Leopard 1. And, of course, this one, the Mang Leopard C2 with the Dozer Blade. The, and the Mixus. Oof. Yeah. That's just so cool. And this one's for you, Waz. 2A6 and 72 scale from Model Collect. I wonder how good that is in the 72nd. I'd be interested to know. Yeah. And that was we're, uh, the Leopard. We're Leopard 1. The Tamiya one. That was a Leopard one. There's more than that. I know there is. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so that was the Leopard series by Dennis. That was a very, very interesting one. Actually, that was really cool. I enjoyed that. It was. Thank you very much, Dennis. Fellas. Glad I was able to do it. Why All right. We will be taking a brief intermission. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Autoloader Decals. Have you wandered around the shelves of your local hobby store and found that perfect model kit? Great tooling, fun to build and look, you remember seeing the subject. Perhaps it was a truck in the ubiquitous white UN paint scheme in the newspaper, or maybe it was a Sherman tank from your local armour unit. Everything is lining up for a fantastic new project, one with a more interesting connection to yourself, instead of a project derived from a history book. Then you open the kit, and there are none of those specific markings to be found. Water slide decals really put the final touch on a model, and unfortunately for the model maker, most kit manufacturers won't put too much time into designing decals that produce a finished model in anything but its most stereotypical form. That's why Autoloader Decals exists. 
It is their sincere hope that you'll be able to find as much enjoyment using these special water slides as they have. Autoloader decal pro products are primarily focused on Canadian subjects, but in general if you're looking for markings that represent vehicles from lesser known parts of modern history, chances are you might just be able to find something worth trying. The water slide decals are printed through an inkjet printer and sealed with a high quality varnish to ensure their strength on the model. Unlike most other water slides, these decals only need to be submerged for a few seconds and can be placed right onto the model. They are incredibly tough and won't yellow over time. For an added benefit, decals intended for 1 to 35 scale are treated with a special varnish that gives a subtle, painted on look that's both in scale and more realistic than other brands offerings. All the products currently in production are listed in the store page. If you have a custom design you would like to order, the best way of making this order is to send an email through the contact page. Generally, the cost of a custom order will be 40-50% to 50 higher than any products that are in stock to account for labour. Also, as a special deal, if you, have, if you are ordering a set of custom decals and you mention the Micro Machines podcast, you'll receive a free exclusive MMP Pinju decal with your order. So next time you're looking to build a specific or unique vehicle, look towards Autoloader decals. Just go to www.autoloadermodels.ca for all your waterslide decal needs. And now, back to the show. You you are going to be surprised by this statement I'm about to make, but I think I enjoy building jets more than I do building like propellered aircraft. Yeah, that's fair. I, I find that like they're a lot easier just because you don't have to mess around with doing exposed engines and propellers. Well, I don't know. I don't know why it's like. I don't know. It's just easier. I I don't get it. Like. <laughs> Ugh, I'm back. Oh well. Welcome, welcome back. Alrighty, gentlemen. Hobby news. Ooh, my favorite. Alright, so for Hobby News, up first... Hang on, where's my notes? God damn it. I am... Uh, fuck. We, we believe in you, Callum. Anyway. Ooh, what is that Look at that down? long thing. Why, thank you, I made it myself. I mean, <clears throat> so... Up first, we mm. have a brand new trumpeter kit. This is in 72nd scale. Uh, it is a Maz 537G tractor late model and CHMZAP, fuck me, 5247G semi-trailer. Seriously, all armies, military, all of that. Tone down the bloody numbering. For Christ's sake, just give it a name. No. Anyway, so this is like the uh, the Cold War Soviet dragon wagon, basically. Uh, so it's been released and. With two color schemes, you got just a standard Soviet green and then a green and I think it's a three-tone green, black, and white. So, yeah, doesn't come with a tank to go on the back, but I'm sure you can make one yourself. But retailing for about $31 US. And so make for a good, uh, good like, uh, oh, you know, you know those like super long tree lines with the roads next to it in Ukraine? This yeah, yeah. would be perfect for that. Like, they're loading up a destroyed fucking T-72 or something on the back of one of them. Up against that tree line. I kind of like the box good. art, actually. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Oh, and yes! also, from Trumpeter, also in 72nd scale, actually, we have an M706 Commando Armored Calf in Vietnam service. So, the Commando 
or uh, is a mainly used by the military police. It was for um, perimeter security, base security, stuff like that. Uh, so, of course, we have two color schemes with it. Well, two decals. The color schemes are the same as both gray, but one of them has MP on the side, big decals. So, yeah, these commando, commando armored cars were... Yeah, they didn't. I don't think they use them much in the jungle. They're more for just MP security and stuff like that. But they look freaking amazing. And if it was in 36, 35th, I would take it. 72nd, yeah, I don't know. But I don't know. It's a, it is a cool ta- It is a cool vehicle and something new. So something different too. Yeah, I take it. Shit. And oof, up next from uh, from New Zealand. Kotari. So they have announced they they have their their Spitfire Mark Two A, which they've released. Up next is going to be a Spitfire Spitfire Mark One early. So I believe this kit will include either a two or three bladed propeller, because the of course the original Spitfire had a two blade. And they have announced that later on afterwards they'll be releasing a Spitfire Mark Five A. So the Mark Five A is just before they start adding on dropping two of the um, machine guns on each wing and adding in a cannon. So, yeah. Katari 30-second scale Spitfires, they look so amazing. They are very nice. Yeah. Like, it's wingnut wings type stuff. It's wingnut wings quality for a World War II plane. Finally, right? Okay, up next. From Hobby Boss, we have in one to three fifty scale a USS Iowa class BB sixty one. So of course this comes with two. Um, uh, what is the aircraft that the uh, Americans use for seaplanes? That the Curtis, I believe, is a Kingfisher. I want to say. Yeah, the Curtis. It's like the Kingfisher. Curtis O OSTU Kingfisher or something like that. But it does come with uh, two of those. And it looks amazing. The Iowa class is a freaking massive battleship. Uh, these are retailing for... These ones are a bit dear at the moment. They're $309. So if you're really, oh really into it... it does That's come with a, a little much. It does come with a ton of photo etch and metal gun barrels, but I'm sure you could probably find an upgrade kit at some point. And Wait, then, one second. What, what scale did you say that was? 350. Okay, I thought you said, for some reason, I thought you said 700. So I was thinking, man, that's pretty expensive for a 700 scale ship. Yeah, yeah. No, this is 350, so that's big. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Jack! <laughs> yeah. Up next, Ooh. so we've talked we talked about this before, but this is also from Hobby Boss in 35th scale, the German Iguana PSB-2-14M. Uh, Dennis, would you like this? So, what, which one was this again? It was the Leopard Two Bridge Layer, basically. Essentially, yes. Yeah. So this is the, the right. You know, Krauss Modify has made bridge layer variants of the Leopard Two before. This is the basically the modern one, which is on the Leopard Two A Six chassis. Uh, it has a much longer bridge. It's got the new scissor design. So this has a much larger weight capacity, and it's a lot longer. As you can see, it also has a more advanced delivery mechanism. You don't just drop the bridge. It actually has a pretty neat skid for delivering it. But yeah, this is going to be Hobby Boss's new rendition of that. It's pretty cool. You can even see how it's got the uh, plow right there for trenching itself in as it's uh, delivering the bridge. 
and that kind of like comes the with... uh, <clears throat> the SDRV does. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so this comes with two decal sets and color schemes, so NATO tricolor and just a standard olive drab. And this one is retailing for about $60 US. Okay, not too bad. Ah, yes, Ooh. look at that. Ooh. The High Marv Daddy. Basically. So we've got two new kits from I Love Kit. Uh, up first, we have another mouthful. We have an M1013 with an M2042A1 GLCM tell. This is in 35th, so it is massive. You base, Basically, it's a Hemet with the uh, with a multi-rocket launcher on the back as a trailer. Am I right, Dennis? That's Thanks, pretty much it, yep. But this is in 35th scale, so it's freaking massive. It's retailing for about $129 at the moment. But the camo scheme that comes with it, uh, it appears to do, it does come with uh, rockets as well, so you, you could probably do something pretty cool with that. But if you're into that sort of rocket artillery, there's definitely one you'd want to get. Uh, yeah, look at that thing. And what's next? Yeah, oh, I want it. I want it. I want it. So we have the other artillery from I love I heart kit, love kit, whatever the fuck they want to call themselves. This is the M fifty three one hundred fifty five millimeter self proud howitzer. This is the uh, SPG that was based off the Sheridan. Yep, that's correct. Yep. It basically, took a Sheridan power plant in suspension, I believe. Well, they did. They have modified it a bit. One of the return rollers being pushed forward. Uh, Quite the, a bit, yeah. And they dropped the idler wheel, but otherwise, this is a bloody cool-looking SPG. Like that turret's full, like almost trans, like fully traversable. Ah, it looks like it. Yeah. Yeah, like it does. It looks like it can turn around. So this is re- going to be retailing for about sixty-five dollars USD. Does come with a ton of photo etch, but ooh. One downside, though, it does have a uh, two-part barrel. So, hmm. yeah. Mm. Well, something big and round like that, it's going to be easier to, you know, make blend together versus something yeah. like an Abrams barrel. And where, where were these used? They were Vietnam, weren't they? Looks like Korean War? No. No, Sheridan wasn't around. No, Sheridan, yeah. yeah Sheridan, yeah. Help us. So that one was Vietnam and later, I believe. Like could probably of, do some cool Cold War stuff with it, like it uh, would have been training a, in Germany in uh, the folded gap. I bet. Oh, <laughs> but you know what? HIDF put some ERA on that. Heck yeah. Bro, imagine how rusty you can make this thing. Make it amphibious somehow. Oh god, that block a chunk of fucking crap. Amphibious, <laughs> we'll find a way. And this is just from Atelier. They they've announced four new kits. And where are my notes? I swear I'm like, I am useful. I don't forget everything. Mostly. Unlike the Normandy fucking episode, Dennis. <laughs> Upload it. I will. <laughs> I will. Okay, so first up in the bottom right corner, we have the Opal Blitz Classic. These are coming out in 1 to 24 scale. Holy shit. Why? Why not? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, oh, it's, it's, kind of, it's yeah. a car. It is a truck. That's car scale, 1 to 24. 
You know what? You're right. Uh, up next, uh, just above that one, we have the EA18G Growler in 48 scale. This comes with three markings, as you can see. So it's the yeah Boeing EA18G Growler. That'll be pretty how's, cool. How di- how's the Growler different from the um, FA- FA-18? So first off, obviously two-seat. Um, a lot of FA-18s are that as well. But generally speaking, it has a completely different electronic warfare suite. It can basically carry jammers. It can, I believe, carry the AGM-88 Harm. Uh, primarily speaking, it is the buddy refueling and air electronic warfare variant of the FA-18. So it's primarily in the payload it carries. Okay. Right. Gotcha. And then up next, in the right in the middle, we have the KFZ-12 Horsch 901 Type 40. So this is in 35th scale. So this is the uh, German army sort of uh, truck uh, carrier type thing. They're trying to but, get on that mini art cache, I see. Yeah. So we have uh, four schemes, two gray, one desert, and one Stalingrad with the uh, 24th Panzer Division. So that that's actually a neat, neat camo. Were you trying to say Opal Blitz? When? I'm sorry, I'm high. Not yes, really. Actually, might be high. I'm not. I'm masking off this fucking canopy and it's killing me. <laughs> Uh, and then last but not least, if we go back one more. All right. Uh, oh, what, what happened to our slides? I don't know. Oh, what the fuck? Okay. And lastly, in 72nd scale, we have a Jaguar uh, T- T2 RAF trainer in four camo schemes. So you, uh, you have, uh, there's not a lot of difference between them. There's just gray, gray, and slightly darker gray. Modern air, modern aircraft schemes aren't interesting, are they? Anymore. Boring. Join the HIDF. Well, I mean, well, think about it. If you've got the capability now of taking out another aircraft that you can't even see, well, that's, you know, why bother with the gray then? Just, you know, go nuts. Make something cool. Doesn't matter Make anymore. It pretty. Yeah. But, yeah. That is this week's uh, Hobby News. If you've learned anything from what I've said, I don't know. Don't know what I've been so- talking about. Anyway, Type well, um, I, I'll we'll, I'll go back and do the uh, announcements after. Oh, okay. okay, that's fine. All right, so I've got a few slides. I'm going to try to get through these pretty quick. Uh, the first few here are the U.S. infantrymen for my Operation Cobra diorama for our Normandy group build, which we'll get to later. Uh, but there's a total of eight of them, and they're they're pretty fun. Uh, kind of took my I say I took my time, but I don't mean I actually like took my time. I just it took a while to get around to finishing them. They're pretty fun. Uh, the first guy here on the left that was probably my favorite one to paint. Um, he's Deeply got the net on the helmet. Oh, thank you. That was I thought I was gonna have to go through and like paint that like by itself. I just dry brushed it. And it, it's just, it it's like, the, it's subtle enough, you can see it, but it's not overwhelming as if you actually painted it. Which I was extremely happy with, because I was kind of scared of overdoing it. But, uh, it was fun. 
these guys are supposed to be from the 29th Infantry Division per their logo on their left shoulder. And, uh, yeah, the guy on the right-hand side, he's got his blouse off, so he's, you know, just undershirt. But uh, That's looking amazing, to... man. Thank you. Then next we got uh, more guys from the 29th. Left is the medic, looking all kind of concerned. Uh, that'll make more sense in the diorama. On the right-hand side, you got a guy who was my second favorite. It's my favorite pose um, out of all the figures. Uh, regular Grand, you know, coming up. I accidentally broke off his uh, fucking shovel handle, so that was kind of a bummer, but... Uh, yeah, and then the guy on the right there, I built him out of, like, four different figures. That was fun. Uh, his face is all fucked up, so if you only get to see the right side or the left side, it uh, looks like his whole face got blown off, so that's going to be fun, explaining that one to all the rivet counters. <laughs> Next. And then, last bit of the figures, you have Automatic Rifleman with Scrim on his helmet, and then the... Uh, presuming the NCO of the group with this Thompson. So, fun stuff. This is good painting them. Went a little overboard with how much paint I did on the black acrylic wash, but uh, besides that, I'm, I'm pretty okay. With, I'm pretty happy with them. And then here are uh, some shots I took before the episode started of the Operation Cobra diorama. Uh, if you don't know already, there's... Uh, two roads in between. There's like kind of a median of a bucage, like a field, German mortar, abandoned mortar position with gear laying around, as well as a German bunker with a tarp I need to finish painting. Uh, the road on the left hand side will house all the U.S. figures, and the road on the right will house a Puma with two crewmen. But uh, that was really fun to do. I love loving the terrain so far. Thank you. Yeah, it, was a, it was a blast. And then, this should be my last one, uh, I started working on, since Six Days in Fallujah video game came out, I got uh, a bite in my ass for making a modern day ship, so I'm in the process of making a uh, Fallujah diorama, which, funny story real quick, I told this to Callum earlier, I my hobby store does not carry black paint, but I saw some. So I snagged like four bottles of it, not knowing it was gloss. Well, I painted or I primed my Puma, the Italian figures for my Italian vignette, and then the the guys here on screen, the uh, Americans and the, the two Hajis. Well, two days later, I'm still looking at it like, why the fuck is this shit still wet? Because it's gloss, right? I, I thought it was matte. And I pick it up, and that's when I realized, well, shit, because it it bothers me. It's it, it's fucking with my OCD. It's supposed to be dry, but it's not, or it is, but it looks not dry. So it's bothering me. It's my story. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, having fun. Looks good. Ooh, ah, look at look this. at that. Callum did a vignette. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh... I've been looking at my uh, polycarp of I-16, uh, my finished one, just sitting on the shelf, and it looked, because it's such a small aircraft in 70 seconds, it kind of just looks a bit lost on the shelf. You know, it's just like this tiny little thing on it. <laughs> so We're dead. <laughs> so I'm, I'm currently stuck on a build right now, so I just wanted to like build something real quick. So 
was on uh, Thursday. I had about a couple hours to kill, so I started working on the base, and I got it right. I got it finished up to the point where the snow was down, but nothing was on it. And I could have called it then, but I sort of thought, nah, I need need something in it. And I got I had a couple of pilot spares, so I spent about an hour searching researching Finnish pilots um, uniforms, and they had so many variations that I could find that I just went with the one that turned up most common, which was sort of light gray top, dark gray pants type thing. Hmm. But then I was trying to figure out how to incorporate it. And I thought, well, he could be like sitting there ready for a mission or a scramble. But then it's facing, I decided to make it the aircraft face a wood. So that's not a good start. And, you know, it wouldn't really look right. But instead I decided, well, the story I'm telling is he's run out of fuel, so he's uh, had to radio back back to say that, and he's landed in whatever clearing he can get, and now he's just built himself a small shelter and is just waiting for a uh, pickup. So it just adds a little story to it and looks a lot better on the shelf now. So th- this whole this entire thing took me four hours at most, and that even I even filmed it and it's on my YouTube channel now as a how to build a snow diorama video. So. Yeah, bro's gonna be there for like three weeks waiting for the next storm to pass. <laughs> but That's I've got a few more bases. That yeah, I've got a few more bases I want to build. But yeah, this one I, I loved. You know me, I love doing snow stuff. So yeah, looks better. Oh, and and keeping with the weird and wonderful that I build. This is yes. the Humbrol Hella or Hella Humbrol, whatever. Uh, yeah, no, I'm putting myself through it. An, an AMX, this is technically called an AMX 13T75. Um, so this is an AMX 1375, but it has the SS11 ATGM launcher rack on the uh, on the turret. And what I've done, uh, you can see here, is I found in the box was some wire that it just dropped into the box. It's not part of the kit or anything, it just happened to be in there. And I thought, this might actually be strong enough. So I drilled a hole into the back of one of the uh, SS-11 um, missiles. And it's the wire is actually strong enough to hold it up in midair. So uh, I forgot to add the reference photo I'm going to use. But there's, I found a photo of one of these just as it's been fired. And it's got a bit of smoke all around the uh, tank and stuff. So I'm going to try. I'm replicating this one photo. So, that, yeah, it's going to have the uh, ATGM mid, mid-launch. So what uh, What color? is this vehicle going to be? Uh, still trying to find out because this one, the kit that I've got comes with either Israeli or Swiss markings and I do not build Israeli. So, you know, it's going to be Swiss. I cannot find a definitive answer on what they, what color they used. So I'm still, okay. that's why I'm kind of held up on it at the moment. I've still got like things to add on. The, you know, the small details on a tank where you spend three hours sticking stuff on and it still looks like nothing's changed. Yes. And you kind of get a bit, eh. Yep. so i'm kind of up to that point plus i've got the wheels to do and that doing this doing wheels road wheels is just always a pain in the nuts so yeah. that's that's why i'm like i'm just going to step back for a minute and just work on something else for a while but yeah so i'm kind of stuck on that and i'm stuck on trying to figure out what bloody color the swiss had these things so and also the color of the missiles as well because they were a different color yeah <laughs> but lots of uh lots of colors going on there uh, right now, yeah. Oh, let me rephrase that: color finding. Yeah, yeah. Just could 
Google's not helping me out right now, so yeah. Don't you hate that? You try to find <laughs> something on the reliable Google and it's like, fuck you. It's like, nope, I'm going to give you unrelated photos. Yeah, but that's what I am currently working on now. Very nice. I love the calf texture you made. Thank you. And this is why I've been Ooh. working on. You built something, Dennis? Next... I know, for once. I I built. I, I didn't it. make a what if either. This is a real aircraft. Uh, this is the Airfix 148 scale Hawker Sea Fury. This was done in the markings of the Royal Canadian Navy uh, after the war, and I think it was about 1948. This is one of the aircraft that flew off HMCS Warrior, one of our aircraft carriers out in Vancouver. Uh, yeah. Very but, uh, nice. Yeah, that's what I've been working on. Nice. Welcome to the uh, Canadian, the RCN Fury Club. Yes, yes. Uh, Garrison, you have to do one now. Yeah. Uh, do they do tanks? Maybe. You can paint it like a tank. If you ask nicely enough. I think Don's got oh, one, Hadley, really? or Don was looking into getting. I think one. he was looking into getting one. Yeah, just because oh, you know we're both, oh. you and I both made Canadian, and he hasn't made one, and that's just making him jealous now. I think, <laughs> or he's trying to, sh- or he needs to show us up. But now that that looks awesome, thank you. It does looks very nice. Alrighty, announcements. Well, this is uh, the big one. So we are currently hosting a Normandy campaign group build running from June 6th to August 30th. Uh, come join our Discord. We have all the rules information if you've got any questions. Uh, submissions, we have a recreational and a competition submission. Uh, come find out what the prizes are. Throw something in both. Have a good time. Uh, hope to see you there. And then... Longer running is our Horizon Island Defense Force group build, and this one is running until October 6th. Now, however, we are consistently uh, building this throughout the year, um, you know, just because that's our that's our whole little spiel is uh, the HIDF. But we are wanting to see your HIDF builds. This is purely just for recreation. Uh, but if you want to join in on the fun, uh, come over to our Discord. We have. Like said, rules info, all that fun jazz, and uh, hope to see you there. All right. Uh, where where the slide go? Keep going, keep going, keep going. Oh, there there you uh, the Micro Machines podcast is proudly sponsored by Scale Colors. Uh, if you are in the market for acrylic airbrushing paints that are very non-toxic and accurate to historical colors, why don't you go down to scalecolors.com, support our friend Jeff because he supports the podcast, and get yourself some really, really awesome paints. Now, also, going forward, you will be able to get uh, individual link resin-printed tank tracks. At the moment, Jeff is hard at work revamping the designs so they're even more, they're even higher quality and easier to put together. But soon you'll be able to go back and buy SC3D tracks from ScaleColors.com. As always, thanks, Jeff, for supporting us. And so and a special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Thank you to Paul Gallagher and Lord Floki. So thank you all so much for supporting us. If you want to get more access to Micro Machines podcast content, including blooper reels, why don't you go down to our Patreon? The link is in the description. Toss us a couple bucks a month to help keep the lights on at the podcast and get access to some cool content. And I Already. will say, uh, so you will also find an, an extra lost uh, episode that we did. And 
might discuss it with you two, but I reckon we'll, there's probably some 3D files that we could probably chuck up on there as a sort of uh, incentive as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that yeah, would be a nice yeah, one. For the, so, you know, it's only, it's only about three bucks a month. So, you know, it's not it's not too expensive. And, I mean, the other podcasts have a Patreon and they don't offer anything. <laughs> so you get something in return for us. But, you get to hear us babbling on and uh, some <laughs> maybe yeah, you not can, so PG-13. Blues. Yeah, like in uh, talk about, you can hear Garrison talking about his base commander's wife getting a pair of new titties. Um <laughs> or you can hear us bully Ezra even more. Oh, so, yeah, if that was actually possible, <laughs> well, with a bit of imagination. Alrighty. Anyway, well, gentlemen, that was a podcast. It was, it sure was. Well, if you've come to this point, thank you so much for staying with us. We will return next week with. Cal, what are we returning uh, next week with? Uh, something. We're going to bring you something. It's probably going to be like a machine, and it'll probably be micro. There yeah, we are. Something like that. Shit. Well, we need a, bye, we need a consultant. Yeah. See you later. Righto. See you, fellas. Bye.